Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fun with Cars for episode 162 with the Italian Grand Prix. We are much more prompt this time. I'm Robin Warner. And I am Jim Lau. And yes, just days after the previous show, uh, we are back together. We have uh, been able to watch the Grand Prix from Italy, from Monza, uh, and yeah. e- eat some pizza along the way. Which, Within the day. Yes. And uh, and now here we are bringing you a show. So trying to uh, catch, back, catch back up on our timeliness and uh, catch up on our sleep and all the other fun things that, uh, that we are up to. So um, good times today. Not as dramatic of a race, I guess, in terms of uh, there's, there's no crazy... Uh, you know, race incident controversy to talk about, or whatever. But um, some good, solid battling, um, interesting stuff to follow, and uh, you know, something that I'm, I'm pretty happy to uh, report about. Yes, and you know, it's really kind of amazing how fresh in my mind this race is. Actually, um, I don't know. I feel like this one is a little bit easier to jump right into qualifying, and uh, the fact that we saw. An old story rehatch itself as Lewis Hamilton was the guy on pole position. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was another uh, chance where they had, um, you know, no drama, no no cars on fire, uh, you know, no uh, major tactical errors or anything like that. It was just a proper run. Um, it was well, that's actually not true. Don't forget Friday practice, Lewis Hamilton missed two-thirds of it because they wanted to take the floor off and change some sensors. And he, I think it was ultimately labeled a hydraulic issue. And he, you know, they wanted to check some things and double check some precautions, stuff like that. But he, and then, of course, get to the race. I mean, it was far from problem free for the man. Right. So, yeah, not, not that there were no problems, but I guess, you know, for the actual qualifying showdown, it was a, uh, obviously the, uh, you know, Mercedes won two, um, but with two and a half tenths uh, from Hamilton to Rosberg. So this time, you know, Hamilton just made it work uh, when he yes. needed to in Q3. Um, interestingly, Kimi Raikkonen, of course, Ferrari in the home turf there, um, out in Q2. I mean, line, you know, uh, ended up, what, 12th, um, and, uh, and just got, got bumped down the order. So that was a bit of a disappointment for them, uh, with Alonso getting through to Q3. Uh, I say, of course, because almost always he does so. Right. Um, and, uh, and otherwise, um, you know, it was a tough day for the Lotuses for qualifying. You know, they both got, st- both got stuck in Q1 and so on. But, uh, yeah, uh, you know, Interesting how far down the order the Red Bulls were. I mean, I guess it was all about Mercedes' power for qualifying because the top six spots were all Mercedes engines, right? Right. Both Mercedes, both Williams, both McLarens, then Fernando Alonso, then Vettel and Ricardo, um, and then Checo Perez to run it out. But uh, it was kind of, you know, that I think tells the story of the engine power and how, what they're able to do with downforce uh, because they just really have the, the best power unit. And then uh, it was, you know, the Red Bulls eighth and ninth, uh, even though they had, you know, it wasn't any crazy weather or anything like that during qualifying. So that was kind of interesting to see. Um, but I was just very impressed with how Daniel Ricciardo was able to move forward uh, and even, of course, ending above uh, Vettel. But, um, well, I mean, at this point, that's not even surprising. And don't forget, we're giving, well, I'm giving at least Vettel one year. He gets one year, and uh, he can be whatever. Um, and who knows, the next year, he might not even be in a Red Bull. Well, we shall see. Um, it is fascinating, though, uh it actually made Force India stick out even just a little bit more for not being um, at the top of the grid in Mercedes-powered cars. They, in fact, were the only two that weren't. Yeah, that's true because it was, you know uh, Checo Perez in tenth and uh, Hulkenberg in fourteenth. Yeah. Um, as they uh, as they qualified, so that's um, yeah. You wonder. I mean, Nico Hulkenberg, you'd think would be higher up than that with Mercedes power, and uh, he's he's generally quite good. But, uh, yeah, it didn't, didn't come together for them there. Yeah, you know, I'm curious if Hulkenberg is just running out of energy. You know, he's been in a mid-pack level car year after year after year. And this isn't an excuse, ultimately, but it is a potential reason why he might be like, ugh. And just hard for him to really get to that last edge and really keep his momentum up. And, I mean, or maybe Perez is really, really maturing and coming into his own and becoming a very strong driver could be that yeah it's in some ways probably a bit of both but uh it's it's interesting to see uh you know checo having some good battles here including with uh, jensen button but uh keeping it you know keeping it civil and actually doing you know i guess uh, approaching uh uh you know approaching the, the limit in terms of what's acceptable for for blocking and for aggression and so on but yeah but not blatantly crossing it yeah but not not doing anything uh really crazy and uh you know i have to say he's uh he's done pretty well for that um yeah, so I'm just I'm catching up on the uh, F1 news as we're talking here because of course it is just you know today with uh, the race and so on, um, and uh, and man it's it's 
I don't know. There's a lot going on right now. We're in this this part of the season, so well, um, we are well and truly into a higher than average silly season, and it's a higher average silly season that complements a much higher than average exciting season. I mean, 2014 has been whatever you want to call it in terms of technology shifts and everything else, but it's been great racing. And uh, honestly, Italy was a great race that, compared to a lot of others, was fairly boring. And it's because it wasn't the most epic thing we've seen in a long time. But it was real solid. And, you know, I think it's pretty telling that uh, the pole sitter had a terrible start and ended up losing three places right at the beginning Mm -hmm. and still went to overcome that and... This was not among the exciting races, <laughs> so yeah, and I mean that's well. I guess we'll we'll uh, skip right to that. And yes, that's the, Ooh, uh, I like that. Let's, let's actually talk about Mercedes first for once. Um, and it was it was you know really just some good racing uh, between the two of them, um, where of course Hamilton was on the back foot after the poor start and he you know made his way around the other cars and, uh, and of course with only a single stop, which basically everyone did today. Yeah, uh, we didn't have the usual. Uh, coming and going of uh, you know pit cycles and you know cycling through the rotation with two stop region or even three stop race. So with just a one single pit stop, um, we were a little bit surprised that uh, they didn't uh, you know I guess pit Hamilton earlier, get him on the medium tire or yeah get him on the on harder tires and uh, and get out and set some times. But uh, you know they the, they were very very even through pit stops. It was not a good or bad pit stop for anyone. It was both solid stops for both good guys. Good point. Very true. That um, has been a discrepancy in the yeah, past. Yeah. Which that would have been a shame if uh, you know one guy lost the lead just because his you know had to sit in the pit for an extra second or two or whatever. But uh, as, as it turned out, it was uh, in sort of the middle section of the race, Hamilton chasing down Rosberg and gaining time and gaining time. And then they said, okay, well, let's let's settle down. Let's keep a gap and then, um, you know, save our tires for the end and then basically, you know, charge at the very end. And Hamilton, I don't know if, if didn't listen to that is the right way to say it, but basically just kept pushing Rosberg, um, maybe seeing a little bit of weakness or just sort of mind games or just, as you know thinking okay i don't want to stay two seconds back i just i want to push him a little bit and you know three laps two laps later or something i mean it was very soon after uh you know they well he, for he, us it was the next commercial break right it was during a commercial break right after the pits and so on uh he um uh, you know hamilton was up, applying pressure to rosberg rosberg got just a little bit of lockup uh you know going into turn one chicane and it was enough where he, uh, he backed out of it, had to straight line the chicane and give up the position. Uh, you know, he had lost the position basically by uh, outbreaking himself, um, which was interesting because I saw Rosberg, you know, he did that once early in the race as well. Um, That's right. Where he had this little bit of lockup and immediately just got off the brake, straight line, and weaved his way through the chicane. And I was thinking that's an interesting tactic as championship leader to be really conservative, right? So you get this little bit of lockup and you think, okay, I'm not passing anyone in this corner. I'm not actually, he wasn't at that point defending anyone in the corner. No, he so, was... Two, three seconds clear, right. first time around. So he might as well back off, you know, do what he did, you know, weave through the through the chicane um, and get back on track and, you know, no penalties, no problems. It was just kind of a, okay, yeah, he screwed that up, but it went, you know, off he went. But it was interesting how quickly he gave up on the corner, you know, where I think, you know, it's easy to say now from outside the car and from seeing how it all panned out. Right, which is why we're doing it. This right. is a lot uh, easier. But it's 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 interesting to see, you know to think. Okay, well, if he had held on to it just a little bit more, could he have gotten you know done a better job to right. defend that uh, position or was was giving it up you know the right thing? I think it was the right thing the first time around because it was a the conservative drive that he needed to do. Well, but then that's questionable because maybe that set up a precedent of oh this is the way to handle this. And my biggest my biggest thought was, Nico felt. What we saw is a little bit of lockup, but imagine that this was the beginning of lots and lots of lockup, and he didn't want that to go down. But we saw multiple, we saw other drivers, including his teammate Lewis Hamilton, lock up going into turn one and just run it, run through it. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo did that successfully a couple of times, and Lewis Hamilton, at least that we saw on camera, did it successfully at least once. Right. And, you know, yeah, it wasn't ideal, and... Uh, it, I'm sure it did add a little bit of vibration to the car and make tire a little worse for wear. But they continued on their race. They both did well. So I think, if anything, that's almost what you could call um, body language, quote-unquote, of Nico Rosberg's stress, stress and tension for leading up to this race. You could tell that he was in a much more compromised kind of meek position where 
he had an altercation with his teammate, and the team scolded him. Right. And he ended up publicly apologizing, and I think he just, to a certain extent, had his head between his legs and just needed to get through this week. Yeah, a little bit. And, you know, it was... He's in the literal position of, you know, watching his mirrors and Hamilton chasing him down. Yes. But also in that championship metaphorical position of he's out front, everyone's gunning for him. You know, the best he can do, of course, is get maximum points and yes. and keep that out there. But it's a very different mindset than chasing someone and pushing as hard as you can and pushing slightly harder than them, which is what Hamilton was exactly doing on track there. And, of course, in the championship is, you know, gaining ground and, and pushing him uh, and, you know, catching up uh, points-wise and position-wise from behind. So, uh, yeah. This is what I think, to a certain extent, both of us, but I was more so than you, predicting Hamilton would bounce back mm-hmm. soon. I mean, predicted that uh, after Monaco, predicted that and sort of got it in England. And it's like, okay, now he's back. Predicted it after Germany. <laughs> but, like, you know, there were just – he's had such an up-and-down midseason. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see. This is the first race in a while where he was – Outright faster on speed and decisive uh, with the victory. And that's including him being put on the back foot right at the off from faulty electronics causing a poor start. Right. And, you know, the guys he had to get around were not slouches as well, of course. He's the top guys in, in the field here. So, uh, you know, Kevin Magnuson, who did quite well at the start to, uh, to get up and hang at the beginning. Absolutely. Um, and both Williams were doing quite strong. Uh, Botas, of course, fell back uh, behind Hamilton. And, and, uh, and much worse off. Yeah, I mean, that was somehow kind of just shocking. The, just the way everybody flowed through turn one and two and the chicane and all that, it really just fell apart from him. He was like 11th or something after uh, after a few corners. It was really, <laughs> and once really you're 11th, sad. I mean, why bother? Yeah, just really. go home. But, uh, well, you know, he came back to uh, to do okay. But um, Yeah, well, finishing fourth, we should say real quick. Right, yeah, um, behind Massa. So um, it was, I mean, that's basically the story. I mean, there's already, you know, these, you know, Autosport articles and things coming out about how Rosberg admitting that, you know, pressure from Hamilton was partially to blame for his mistake and he's mad at himself <laughs> for his mistake. I and so blame on. Hamilton. Um, but which... You know, I mean, I guess it would. I think it would be uh, a bit. You know, it, it of course happens all the time with all the, all the press releases and things that people want to say. But to say, oh no, I, I didn't even realize he was pushing me. I just made this error on my own. Like, you know, I, I hate to see when you get these these things where it's like, really, is that you know the best way to handle this? So to, for him to admit, for Nico to admit that yes, the pressure from my teammate was uh, was a factor here. I think is sort of good of him to uh, to say that. Um, not to say, oh, it's his fault, or say, oh, he should have a penalty or anything like that. Just to think, hey, you know what? Yeah, he was pushing really hard, and yeah, I screwed up. So fair enough. I mean, and this really was the first time in months that we saw what I think everyone has expected all along, is when it comes to sheer pace, Hamilton's got Rosberg. But Rosberg, well, certainly has had better luck, I have to admit and say that, but also just has, you know, better well-roundedness. He's less um, peaky, you know what I mean? Peaks and troughs. Sure. And a little bit... It's similar to the relationship that Lewis and Jensen Button had at McLaren, except that I think Rosberg can go toe-to-toe with Hamilton's pace a little bit better than Button could. Right. And, but I think, I think as we are genuinely drawing near, we have uh, you know, uh, six more Grand Prix to go, um, 13 complete. So we're well in we can start saying we're into the final stage of this event. And I mean, after all, this was the final European event. Um, yeah. I mean, the next, the next sort of section is, is you know, all these flyaways and all the craziness. Yeah, so it's, it, the, it's final kind of section. The, the last leg of the, uh, of the championship as it goes. Exactly. Right. So I think, I think to a certain extent, the realization that his world championship could actually happen. This is real means, you know, that's becoming real, which means the pressure of it is also becoming real and building. And he's thinking, of, oh, God, it's Lewis Hamilton that's chasing me. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. Right. And keeping in mind, of course, Hamilton has a championship under his belt. Um, yes. And as he says, looking back, he's still sort of amazed that it that, that came together like it did. But it did. He is uh, a I world mean, championship quite, winner. I mean, um, about 
about as close as he could make it, in fact. Yeah, really. Um, <laughs> so. But this would, of course, be Rosberg's first. And, you know, with the circumstances, this could be this very special year for Mercedes. I mean, it has been a special year for Mercedes. It may never happen again with the way, you know, they're already talking about rebalancing the power units a little bit, allowing Renault uh, and Ferrari to have some upgrades and, and so on, which, like we say, it's, you know, winding down to the end of this season. But certainly um, it would be good to have a more fair fight, I think, for next year and beyond, you know, to get, well, get things balanced out. And we're going to. And I, I, it's interesting these technology freezes because in some ways you're like, no, that's not the point of Formula One. The point of Formula One is to push technology forward. But, uh, you know, it's ultimately it's a money thing. They're trying to keep budgets um, intact. So fine. But what that does, there's benefits that for the fans as well, because we'll have more of a question and more hope and more buildup of what are the technology changes? Who Who's bringing new technology and new development to these cars during the off season? It'll help keep the off season more entertaining. Yeah, and I think that's that's part of what a certain class of Formula One fans likes. I mean, of course, there are some folks that just want to see their guy, and it's, as long as my guy's winning, I don't care what else happens. Yeah. But certainly, I think you and I are a bit more on the, the the engineer side and some of the technology and so on. That part of just what's interesting about this whole season uh, and has been how different. You know, different engineers have challenged, have have attacked the same challenges and similar challenges, sure, and yeah. uh, you know, just kind of how things have shaken out. And uh, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see as as other engines get updated and so on. If um, you know, all of a sudden the Renault were the most powerful engine again, um, and or at least if, if it was balanced. But you know, keeping you know, in that's mind that's a really good point because for a long time, the in the V8 era, the Renault was the weak, the Renault was the weak one. But it was like over time, with the little bits of adjustments they can make that were not developments, quote unquote, but like you know robustness and safety and blah 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 the renault engine became very strong right i mean obviously all these red bull uh constructor championships were renault powered um and then you know no infinity powered well infinity <laughs> renault whatever yeah which you know was ultimately the same company so exactly whatever um so it's it's funny there's uh um there's been uh, already uh, conspiracy talk if you will Ooh, that uh rossberg's yeah really <laughs> uh that rossberg's mistake was um like the team told him, "Hey, you gotta, you gotta dive on this, and you gotta let the guy, you know, let Hamilton buy to make no, the championship tighter and whatever." No. Which it's, I'm, you know, yeah, is dumb. Um, and uh, you know, it's it's just funny. Like we said, it's just like it's always on Rosberg. Rosberg, you have to keep Hamilton from qualifying well at Monaco. Rosberg, you have to cut Hamilton's tire. Rosberg, you have to screw this up. It's like no, listen, okay. Nelson Piquet is not racing anymore, so that doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, that was Flavio Briatore is still around, but not in a yeah, not in a, in a material yeah, if way. If Flavio Briatore were at Mercedes, I would say, well, but he's not. Right. And I should specify, I'm talking, of course, of Nelson Piquet Jr. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Um, from, of course, Singapore Crashgate from was it 2008? 2008. Yes, yeah, the one. Um, so, yeah, because we were talking about just just. Several days ago, from the Spa race um, and the podcast uh, about how you know that in that case it was a fair fight between Hamilton and Rosberg, and that time Rosberg came out ahead. This time it was a pretty fair fight between them, you know, and certainly in qualifying, God, very and, fair fight. I and mean, Hamilton came out ahead. So that's what's great about it is that it's not just the one guy, and, and oh yeah, you know, Hamilton's just there to pick up the scraps when right. Rosberg lets him. That like there are just differences in styles and differences in approaches that you know, get your different results. And that, you know, ultimately, um, yeah, I'm excited to see Hamilton claw, claw this uh, back. And, and, you know, um, in a way, there's plenty of racing to go. I mean, six Grand Prix is quite a lot of points on offer, especially if double with the last one. Yep, yep. And, uh, and Well, five times 25, that's 125 plus the 50 at the end. So we still have 100, 175 points available to, you know, to six wins. Sure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and of course, as we, uh, as they sit now, um, we've got, yeah, I mean, 238 points for Nico Rosberg. So when you think that there's still, uh, you know, 150 yep. on offer, it's like... 175. Oh, that's right, 175. Yep. And, uh, and uh, you know, Lewis Hamilton's at 216, 22 points back. That's less than one race and win away. Right. So it is very doable. I mean, let's, let's, put, it, let's put it another way. Um, if this is just a start of another string of one-twos for Mercedes again, Lewis does have time to still claw back and win the championship from that if right. he were to be the one in the one-twos. So it's still very much alive in a well. And, you know, now that we've got three-time winner Daniel Ricciardo, Ricardo, well-established, you know, he's certainly a threat. Williams, 
you know, we've seen this was the this was a race more than any other one where we saw uh, where I thought Williams had a chance to sneak through. But even doesn't mean they're out of it the rest of the season. They could squeak. They could squeak by. They could capitalize. They could get a win. Right, There's and some then, you know, real there were proper like, stuff going on. Yeah, like I said, th- third and fourth. I mean, right behind the Mercedes, and about twenty-five seconds back for Massa, and then another fifteen seconds back to uh, to Botas. But still, uh, the, definitely that's best of the rest. And, and we uh, should say it was fairly fairly decisive third and fourth, which is ironic to uh, odd to say, but kind of was right. I mean, it right. was, there was three tiers here. Yeah, and uh, and and I just I have to reiterate um, my you know I guess. Uh, just I guess I don't know what the, what is I forget words now I don't have I, oh they're not important regard I guess for uh, Ricardo um, you know and just another really oh, solid oh I think what you're trying to say is you, you're hot for I guess yeah hot for Ricardo <laughs> is, is that uh, is that the way um, yes it's a term coined by Van Halen but he just seems to uh, just have this. You know, I don't know, a burst of energy of uh, his way of of just managing his tire and his cars and his self um, such that that like the last quarter of the race, he just seems to do things that nobody else can. Uh, You know, he saw uh, he just saw the chance uh, with the way the times were with Vettel shaking out and thought, oh, wait, I can push to uh, to, you know, creep up on him. And uh, I think it sort of freaked out Vettel a little bit. And uh, and, you know, uh, Ricardo was able to get around very well. It was a, a planned couple of moves. Like, I'm going to try it here. Okay, nope, that didn't work. They backed off. They gave each other space. It was very respectful. And then a couple corners later, like, you could definitely tell that Ricardo had the pace. So yeah. at that point, I think Vettel just knew, okay, he's got to be, um, you know, and Vettel's not uh, above, you know, getting creative with how he uh, how he moves his car around to certainly. make it difficult to get around. And uh, and yet, you know, they were able to find, uh, you know, Ricardo was able to find a way through. And uh, in this case, it was only for spot but uh like we were just talking about you know just beating your teammate especially when your teammate is the reigning world champion um is uh, is a really big deal so i wonder and what... after all red bull is the best of the rest of the rest <laughs> yeah the best of the non-mercedes uh, yeah um so i wonder um like what ricardo's contract is is all about you know how how that went because when they when you got you know when he was stepped up from str to red bull um, of course, Mark Webber, you know, just uh, taking off to go to sports cars and then having, you know, this is uh, this is at this point riding the high of, of just Red Bull dominance and so on. So at that point, you'd imagine he would have been sort of, you know, happy to just just to drive there, just to be there and take part in it. And, you know, any any you know good result would just be icing on the cake. But just to be at the top team of Red Bull would be great. So you don't you know, you wonder if, uh, you know, he and his management and whatever were all about, uh, you know, as much money as possible. Or at that point, it was like, well, we can't expect much because my teammate is Vettel and so on. Yeah. But now here we are in this last third of the season, and he's got far more points than Sebastian Vettel. He's able to pass him outright on track and uh, not just, you know, oh, well, Vettel's car keeps failing. We had some of that. But uh, yeah. uh, we had obviously, you know, Ricardo with his, uh, you know, disqualification for from a podium and all these things at the beginning oh, of the season. that I mean, includes that. That's exactly quite, right. Quite he a few would have been than... second, and that would have been an additional 18 points. Right. That's, yeah. So, you know, for things to have shaken out how they are, I wonder how that conversation is going for next year if he's like you know guys i've really proven myself here pretty well uh let well, me get some dollars you know? let's not forget that lewis hamilton's contract in 2007 was for like 300 grand right and uh now he gets paid multiple millions of dollars just like anyone else and that started in 2008 you know his his salary went up tenfold right so uh you know i think i think something similar for ricardo could be could be happening and let's not forget daniel that uh money is root of all evil so you should actually take a pay cut so that you can continue to smile and be happy and not be evil yeah um to that point about teammate comparison though uh daniel ricardo is 60 points ahead of sebastian vettel and uh three places ahead in the driver's world championship so pooh that's decisive yeah he's i mean doing just better than i think anyone would have estimated (laughs) you know last year at this time uh once it was announced that uh that he would be the guy for Red Bull to replace Mark Webber going out. Well, if we, if we want to keep up with a teammate comparison, this is apropos for uh, the Ferraris. This is, of course, a very, very, very much uh, Ferrari race. The Tifosi has talked about multiple times. The extra super large Ferrari flags, which are the big moneymakers for Ferrari. I'm Jim is convinced. You, that's where they make their bottom line is those giant flags. That is part of their GDP. Um, it was not. Fernando Alonso that was there for the team. In fact, he he very well could have been on a plane home by the time the checkered flag flew. It was Kimi Raikkonen to grab two points for Ferrari, finishing ninth, 
And that was it. Not the most glamorous of Ferrari results. Yeah, it was it uh, a rare ERS failure for Alonso's car, which was going and going and going and then not Click. going. It was just... That was it. Yeah, and uh, they said this is a uh, previously unseen issue, and it was not a lot of drama to it, other than you're driving 200 miles an hour and then the your moment, car stops. I was just gonna say the moment he was the moment that happened was 323. We saw just briefly 323 kilometers an hour, which is 100 and 100, <laughs> 200 and like God, one point no, 202 miles an hour. Uh, doing mental math, so. That's a lot of miles an hour. Yes. And to have something click off at 200 miles an hour and all of a sudden you've got no power, no anything, you're like, uh... And he was fine. The brakes still worked and everything was, you know, he stopped the car safely and in a fairly safe area. But it was disappointing for uh, for the team. And it does, I have to say, makes me wonder if that is going to be a deciding factor in Alonzo's mind as silly season stuff continues to progress. Right. It's it's been fairly publicly known that uh, McLaren is seeking to have Alonso back. And you know that legendary Japanese reliability from Honda engine, you That's think right. that would be good. Yeah, and Honda, you know, Honda is itching to get back in the top level of the sport. I think I wonder. I if if Alonso ends up leaving Ferrari, I'm going to think about this event and just just curious if it happens. You know, Kimi Raikkonen, he was looking real promising in Friday practice. You know, he was, I don't know where FP2 was exactly, but he was like top five. And just didn't seem to be able to capitalize from that and go any further. But he did score a couple points for the Scuderia, which is now uh, firmly fourth in the Constructors' Championship. A decisive fourth place. Williams has once again overtaken him, and this time more, by more than a couple of points, it's by 15 they are ahead right. of Ferrari. And boy, it, there's no signs that they're going to lose it. Right, and uh, even you know Massa, of course, being on the podium and um, his cool-down lap was on the radio and talking about how special it was to do this in Italy. Of course, being a longtime Ferrari driver, and then I don't know if it's like an animosity thing of like, you know, hey, screw you, Ferrari, I'm in your turf and I'm beating you guys, or just yeah. a like, hey, he's it's very special because it's in Italy and it's, you know, he sort of worked based, you know, was based from there for a while. And, and so it on. is a premier event generally. Right, and it's, yeah, it's just one of the classic tracks, but to be, uh, you know, to be able to sort of do that on Ferrari's turf when, uh, you know, I'm sure there's lots of Ferrari corporate, uh, you know, goings on with Monza and everything. And it's like, so yeah, how do we do this weekend? It's like, well, one guy's car broke. And, and to be fair, it was the first mechanical retirement in like two and a half, three and a half years or something. I mean, it well, was for Alonso, yeah, for Alonso, right? Yes. It's, you know, really, it's like, you know, you can't he can't fault the team too much for giving him unreliable hardware. But I would think just the general suckage of Ferrari with, uh, <laughs> you know, they have to like, you know, yeah. fire Stefano Domenicali, remember that guy? And, uh, and all the, you know, just like restructure the team and really try to get their, you know, heads on straight or whatever. So, um, Anyway, so it's like, well, that guy retired, and then the other guy, well, it's like, well, he must have done well, though, because he didn't have this problem. So, well, no, he came ninth after qualifying out in Q2. Yeah, it's like, just, you eh, know, that's not so awesome. It's it's no fourth place, Kimi. We right. know that much. And, you know, it's, boy, it's just, it's very confusing where Ferrari is going to take this and how it, you know, there's rumors abound on our American coverage. They talked about uh, the fact that uh, Luca de Montezello and said there's... <laughs> Luca Luca de Montezemolo. Zemolo. De Montezemolo. Uh, I'm trying to make sure I have all the vowels. He might be on his way out. The guy that had Stefano Domenicali on his way out might be on his way out. So uh, it is not a stable and secure area there. And eh, we'll see what happens. So I wonder, I mean, if if Alonso suddenly announces tomorrow that, oh, he's moving to McLaren Honda for next year. How much of that is from today's unreliability or just the general, like, culture of what's been going on? I don't know. Uh, and I guess if you drive from McLaren, then, you know, the company cars there aren't that bad either. Well, I, that it's was... so funny you say that because I was just going to make that quip. It's like, well, you know, if there were one other team that could offer the incentive of getting a pretty fantastic car when you win a race for us. Right. McLaren is the only other team. I mean, Mercedes, God, 
I would take an SLS Black Series in a heartbeat. Right, but, but I mean a P1 or a LaFerrari, right. let alone a 458 or an F12 or oh, whatever. I 458 mean, Speciale. Yeah, so it's it's funny. I mean, we always used to talk about that with, like, you know, the Toyota Formula 1 drivers. It's like, hey, you won. You know? Yeah, hey, it's like, check out this brand new Corolla. It's like a game show announcement. Yeah, I mean, I guess what's the, like, top-of-the-line Toyota, I guess, would be, well, like, the there Avalon. was the LFA for a while. Well, as a Lexus, sure, yeah. I mean, that, and the Lexus, you know, of course, those are all sold, and, you know, that's they don't even make those anymore. That was well, a weird actually, special thing. But it's funny you mentioned that there's a new uh again lexus called oh, the, the F- rcf well yeah well i guess there's a toyota ft1 now there is that hybrid well, crazy concept yeah, that car, thing is so coming that I mean, never happens well then. maybe coming i should say although yeah. toyota's not even in the front so it doesn't matter anyway some <laughs> but, so, like, Toyota's like, in Le Mans. but even ah, with, absolutely ah. But, you know, even, like, when, when you have a BMW Formula 1 team and stuff like that, it's like, you know, hey, your company car, like, yeah, you get a Z8 or something. It's like, yeah, that's a cool car, but, you well, know. okay, come, come on. on. BMW holds a special place in my heart. It's better than that. But, yes, point taken. McLaren, McLaren, though, Ferrari, P1. Yeah. you know, and even Mercedes, uh, yeah, would be a, a solid place. So, anyway, um, that, that could be a, a long-term thought of uh, Alonzo's. But, I don't know, you know, we keep getting, um, you, you know, the, the press releases and things that come out are... You know, no one's saying uh, in really blunt words yet what's going on. I mean, we saw one from Jensen Button saying, I'd really like to race next year. <laughs> like, okay, uh, wouldn't yeah. we all? You know, but it's it's sort of like, you know, you want to you wanna be solid with the team you're with and not, you know, burn any bridges or anything like that. But it's also uh, unrealistic to uh, be like, oh, yes, well, I want to be in a top team. Or, you know, you don't want to complain about anything or whatever. It's, so It's funny you say that. I, I can think of one bridge in my life that I wouldn't mind burning. But, <laughs> hey. uh, you know. You're right. Generally, yes. Um, one thing that, uh, just looking a little bit farther down the field, uh, Kamui Kobayashi uh, pulled a lotterer and qualified uh, well ahead of uh, Marcus Harrison, Erickson, um, not in position but in time. His qualifying time was, I think, near a second clear of uh, Mr. Erickson's and uh, did indeed also finish the race ahead of him 17th instead of 19th. Um, I don't know what the long-term prospects are for that Japanese man, but that uh, was worth noting. And Oh, there's a good company car for you if you win. It's like, you get it? Cater him! <laughs> it's like $20,000 car. I, can, I, can I have a roof? I mean, it's please. a fun car. It's, don't get me wrong. It's raining. But, uh, um, yeah, it, it's, very, it's a fantastic car. And some of the things they come out with are proper. I mean, power-to-weight ratios get quite good. But um, uh, I always wanted to mention uh, Mr. Bianchi. Well, let's talk before we leave Caterham, though, because oh. uh, talking about long-term prospects oh, for Kobayashi. yes, it's a prettier nose. Is one thing. Well, eh, <laughs> nose job. Sort of, yeah. But um, so their team principal, Christian Albers, you may recall, uh, F1 driver from not that long ago, uh, quit. So Really? Yeah. So I just, did not read you that. Know, so two months ago, right, Caterham was sold, and it was a new group of like Swiss investors yes. um, in, in Middle Eastern money and different things. Um, and he just says, due to private reasons, uh, I want to go, you know, oh, yes, I want to spend more time that. with my family. Yes. One of these sort of like, so we really wonder if he's going to pop up somewhere else and, you know, or if <laughs> things... My private reasons was... Me and my family didn't like Caterham. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, Caterham's been in all kinds of trouble, especially with after that big, they, they fired, like, so many people. There's these lawsuits apparently going on from the people that were, they think, wrongfully terminated. Um, it seems like they're trying to do whatever they can uh, with, they had, you know, switching drivers for the first time in, you know, of any team in 2014 to have a different driver in the car and so and on. And then have that driver say, thanks but no thanks to <laughs> retaining the seat. Yeah. Um, but so you wonder, so now they, you know, now they've lost their team principal. So that's probably not the best thing if you're trying to sort of rebuild and get some momentum going. Very good um, point. So I, you wonder, because a lot of times you see someone, you know, go off on gardening leave or whatever, and they say, okay, yeah, I want to go spend time with my family. And then six months later, whenever the contract runs out or whatever, it's like, oh, look, I'm actually being hired by Ferrari or something, you know. You, it's so funny. You say gardening leave, and the first thing I think of is like modern day mafia. It's like, that's a hit on a guy. It's like, oh, Yeah. Took a gardening leave. <laughs> okay. Six feet under fertilizer? No. I, Too no, far. No, okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, yes. What you're saying? Absolutely. Yes. And it actually brings me back to another point I wanted to make. Um, I'm real curious. Uh, Red Bull is proved to be quite strong, and considering the Renault power uh, plant issues and all that kind of stuff, gotta give them a lot of credit. But. Uh, their chief technology officer or design officer or whatever he was called, Adrian Newey, he's... Chief designer, I think. Chief, yeah. Sure, chief whatever, whatever. He is not going to be the main guy anymore. He's you know, putting a little distance between himself and the team. He's not going to a competitor. But 
I it's going to be interesting to see how Red Bull uh, continues in the future when they don't have you know the guy that's considered the best in the business right now. Right, and uh, you know it's it's interesting how much of uh, Red Bull's dominance had been down to Adrian Newey. I mean, there's no question Adrian Newey has designed some just you know excellent cars and definitely you know some some best of breed uh, machinery f- uh, going back to uh, what Benetton and Williams. And, yeah, well, and it was Adrian Newey that designed the uh, Fiesta ST. Let's not forget. I mean, you know, pretty well might have been uh, with as amazing <laughs> as that car is. Um, but uh, you know, it seems like. Partly now, th- with the way the technology is, there's a lot, obviously, to do with the power units. Um, and so it's, you know, it's, I remember, you know, following a bit of Adrian Newey's, you know, kind of whole process and everything, is he really is, he, he you know, designs a car with pencil on paper, like, to to be able to sort of visualize, uh, conceptualize, you know, kind of airflow and packaging and all the crazy rules. When you look at the way the rules are laid out for every little portion of the car, I mean, we've all seen the way the nose regulations are, where it has to be this height, and then this part has to be this height, so there's different ways people slant it. So there's, like, so many requirements you have to work within, but to be able to work within that and just kind of design and, and you know, bring, you know, bring shape to this nebulous idea of we want this car that's going to be really fast and how's it going to go about doing that. Um, that has been a defining characteristic of, of his, you know, of his cars. I mean, I think, you know, the McLarens uh, that he designed uh, back, back in the day and, um, and then, you know, up to obviously the Red Bulls most recently. But I feel like in this generation now, and I use that term, I guess, as just a few year chunk. I mean, right now with the turbo V6 era and whatnot, um, you know, there's, Obviously, aerodynamics is still a huge factor, but uh, a lot to do with the power units, the turbos, the you know hybrids, batteries, the whole um, just all the energy recovery, everything that has to go into that whole system, let alone DRS and everything else. That I wonder if partly um, you know he's not getting any younger. He's made lots of money. He's shown the world that he can make excellent cars. So he can decide. You know what? I've I've had some fun. Now it's getting sort of too fiddly to be fun anymore. You know, if he has to design a car that's you know as and the Red Bull is one of the better looking cars of all the noses this year. But sure. you know that has to be kind of wonky and, and in this weird gen, you know generation. He's like, I want to design something that's beautiful that you know works really well, obviously, and and is is groundbreaking. But if with the way the rules are, the way the powertrains are, and all these things, he's like. This isn't as fun as it used to be. Maybe he wants a new challenge to go, you know, he's, he's turned up with sports car racing and shown up at, you know, Porsche World, World Endurance stuff. And, you know, who knows? Yeah. What, you know, he's done his own racing and uh, may just say, you know what, I've got a lot of money. I've I've proven everything. Maybe I'll just go hang out for a while and uh, do something different. Then, you know, there you have it. But there's so much of what goes into the success of a Formula One team um, that is beyond just the design of the car. I mean, we've talked about, you know, even having having pit stop problems, having, uh, you know, good engineering feedback from drivers to be able to, you know, change setups and obviously strategy calls and, and you know. Well, and the different switches and uh, adjustments the drivers can make in the car now is just simply immense. It's larger than it's ever been. But I, I have to be even, to take this even at a larger scale, um, yeah, I think what you're saying is 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 an excellent point. Adrian Newey's kind of saying, eh, "This isn't really my deal anymore," um, and I think that's good for the sport. I think it's good for the sport that there is more emphasis on different parts of engineering. Uh, aerodynamics in the recent past was so dominant as a uh, as an emphasis on the car that nothing else mattered. If you had a good aerodynamic efficiency and could create downforce. You are going to win. Now, that's not necessarily the case. It is more a little bit about tire management. It's a lot more about the power unit. And there's other facets of the sport that carry on. And I think in a strictly aerodynamic efficiency, I mean, when it came to straight line speed, I think it's the Williams that's actually the best. Right. And they're still not the fastest overall. So... Aerodynamics is still playing a role, but it's not the only role anymore, thank goodness. And here's here's an interesting fact. We didn't bring this up last podcast, but um, Eau Rouge was not easy flat for everybody this yeah. year. It was managed. We did talk about it on the last podcast. Well, we should talk about it more. Because uh, Eau just one of the best corners ever. And it's, to me, that's the best possible result for Formula One, that we do have more than one thing to worry about. And it's not just, again, I'll say, aerodynamic efficiency. There's other parts of the car that come into a grip. Mechanical grip comes into play a little bit more. Power management comes into play a little bit more. To me, that's a good thing. And it's more relevant to uh, road cars, which is what Formula One wants to be. It wants to be relevant technology, uh, moving technology forward kind of place. And it's going to do that more 
with this mechanical stuff than it is with aerodynamic efficiency. I'm going to say the word aerodynamic efficiency one more time. And in fact, I think, I hope that some people turn our podcast into a drinking game. And aerodynamic efficiency is the word of choice for drinking. So aerodynamic efficiency. Wow, that person's pretty well. They're getting pretty well drinking at pretty, this point. Yeah. Kevin, You're welcome, by the way. Kevin Magnuson. He's he, a guy. He is like the penalty champion right now. Poor guy. We didn't talk about this much from Spock because we had a lot of other stuff to talk about and whatever, but he got what a lot of people agree was sort of a BS penalty um, for uh, you know running guys off the road effectively um, there. But another penalty here um, with uh, you know here from Italy. Right. Um, and BS, of course, standing for bunk special. Yes, of course. Um, but uh, in this case, this was uh, he said you know pushing Valtteri Bottas under the runoff at, at the chicane. Um, and even Botas, I think, said, you know what, I don't really think that was worth a penalty. Like, it was tough, but it was, yeah. you know, so when it's, it's almost like you want to have somebody, like, have to press charges a little bit. If it's like everybody's like, hey, we all agree that was fine. We shouldn't need a penalty. But it's 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 interesting. It kind of underscores what we were talking about um, with regards to the Mercedes uh, after Spa. Oh, yeah. I mean, compared like, to that, to yeah. Without saying any words except useless ones, I'm agreeing with you. Okay, um, and then then we the other penalty we had was for I think a pretty blatant, uh, blatantly weird move by Gutierrez. We don't really oh, know yeah. um, why uh, what happened, but and, uh, and he was worse for wear from that one in the first place. I mean, it was it was just all around stupid. He just a last lapse of judgment, and you really can't call it anything else. Uh, well, it says the uh, the uh, Sauber's explanation that it was yeah he was having brake problems. Um, which, okay. So he's hoping that Grosjean would slow him down a little. Yeah, I guess. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's uh, anyway they were uh, you know Selber team boss Monisha Kaltenborn was unimpressed with the incident. So yeah, I think we agree uh, that uh, you know in that case Gutierrez deserved that penalty because it was like we we're watching it. It's like oh look he passed Grosjean and oh bam there he goes and hits him. It's like why why would that happen? Yeah, why did you do that? Right, but man Magnuson, I don't know. It's this is this has been weird because it's he's definitely getting um, you know. Getting his penalties, getting you know, having these moves scrutinized, and this is the kind of stuff we were talking about, uh, or that the FIA has been talking about. About we don't want to just have every driver battle um, have to fizzle out because everybody's worried about penalties, or have races decided after uh, after investigations and think, oh, actually, no, you weren't, in, you know, you weren't in this place. You're actually in that place. So does be- uh, Charlie Whiting like hate the Dutch? Maybe, and we don't know. Like, there's some. I don't know, maybe, maybe really just doesn't like sweetened bread or something. Yeah, could be. I don't know. But uh, anyway, it's... Or windmills. <laughs> maybe he had a terrible windmill accident when he was a child. He and hates... he's finally... This is his chance to get back. He just hates clogs. I don't know. <laughs> just wooden. So they're not even comfortable. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm completely with you, as is Will Buxton of NBC coverage, as is, I'm imagining, many other people. It's silly... And it is to the point that it's worth jokingly at least saying there's some personal vendetta against him because it seems that silly. Right. Did you say Dutch or Danish? Because he's definitely not Dutch. Well, whatever. One of the Ds. <laughs> I was like, we should, like, wait a minute. We're talking about windmills and clogs here. Well, what is I Dutch not... then? Dutch is Netherlands, right? Yeah. Oh, but he's from Denmark. Right. He's Dane. Yeah. Well then, what? Yeah, would it be clogs then? Are those Danish? No, that's that's Dutch. Man. Yeah, that's all Dutch. So what is Danish? I mean, Copenhagen is Danish. What what else is Danish? I don't know a Danish. <laughs> Maybe yeah. So Charlie Whitey got terrible food poisoning from a Danish once. Wow. Dude, I really want to go to Copenhagen. Looks like a cool place. Well, there you go. Oh, maybe it's uh, maybe it's like Legos. Maybe he hates Lego, and he thinks, oh, you know what? Because oh. they're they're Danish as well, if I recall. Um, well, if you recall, that's awesome. I do. Uh, there's going to be a Grand Prix in Mexico next year. It's on the calendar now. There's a provisional calendar, and uh, that is just released apparently today. Oh my God! Your taste of the race. Uh, we're going to go through the roof on that one. I think. Because we almost like when we, if we have time to eat and and do a, you know, have a meal together, you know, around recording, but like aren't inspired enough to do taste of the race, we pretty much end up with like burritos, which yeah. is actually more California than Mexico. But either way, um, not the point. California but, should be part of Mexico. Some say, many say. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, it counts. Uh, but no, apparently, yeah, October twenty third through twenty fifth of twenty fifteen, there should be a uh, Mexican Grand Prix. Oh my God, One we're gonna have guacamole. To, to... We're gonna have salsa. We're gonna we're gonna definitely have uh, tacos. tacos. Oh, man. oh God, we're gonna go classic taco, nope. um, and then I'm gonna of course add the Americanized um, Mexican food. And stuff. And, you know, ooh, ooh, <gasps> fried ice cream. Oh, 
Well, anyway, it's going to be a fattening day. I'm excited about that. And I am as well. I, I don't know if it'll work out, but it, that would be a that would be a great race to to attend. I think. Um, as uh, it's Ooh. been a little while since I've been to Mexico, and uh, I would love to go back. So, well, it's funny you mention that. Uh, I've been thinking about this. Uh, you know, uh, I have yet to cash in my um, business school graduation present, which was attending a Grand Prix, and I'm actually getting very serious about. Uh, trying to go to this event next year nice so you wait till i have a baby and I've, it's a lot harder to uh to travel and deal with you know the little one and whatever and then it you, was then you all go, part of my master go, plan just go and have fun anyway oh man taste the race Dude, Singapore. okay That's if another we good planned one. okay though hold on now i have to i'm calling you out on this if we planned italy for this year which was one of the lead contenders you would not have been able to go and that would have been even worse because things probably would have been purchased by then yeah, maybe. So I saved you something. So it goes. So you're welcome. Yeah. Anyway. Um, man, I, I don't know what else. Uh, I've, I've, I'm all over the place with, uh, you well, know, it's, news and updates. I know. It's just it's like, wait, the race happened today. Yeah. Because <laughs> just don't forget, we had Hungary, we had to be delayed, and then uh, Belgium, we had to be delayed. And there was a whole break in between, which we thought we'd have plenty of time to catch up. Which and we, we didn't. Ended up being quite busy. Um. I mean, we can see if uh, if anyone sent us any emails yet since the last show. It was only a couple of days ago, but we can go check the old mailbag and see what we got. What do you think? I'm I'm in. Someone we uh, haven't heard from in a little while, uh, Craig the Kilt Wilson. We actually always hear from him, and uh, it's always good to hear from him again. Uh, says, has it not been the case for years that when teammates have crashes during the race, the stewards tend not to investigate? That is something that anecdotally I have to say, mm, that's a good point. And, but you and I will both admit, no, we haven't thought of that actively. And it seems reasonable, but well, not think, entirely. Right. I mean, well, if, if a, whatever, a Ferrari and a McLaren get together, they don't have any um, mechanism to punish one another across the team boundaries, right? You know, you can't sort of, you can send a nasty email and say, your guy was really not fair here and whatever, but, you know. Get off my lawn! But if two... <laughs> oh, that's my, my favorite gym line of all time, I think. <laughs> oh, the Yarno Truly Yarno thing Truly. from Brazil. Yeah. <laughs> yes, with Adrian Sutil. Oh, I'll never forget it. That was great. Anyway, um, but if two Mercedes get together, um, and then, of course, there's going to be a Mercedes debrief after the fact, and there is a mechanism a mechanism in place for them to go over their behavior, talk about contracts, talk about money, talk about punishments and, you know, embarrassing public apologies or, um, you know, oh, you're going to have to drive off the road at the next track to uh, at the next race to let your teammate by, and that's going to be a fun little conspiracy or whatever happens. Um, so I guess in a way it makes sense uh, to some extent that the – uh, that the FIA wouldn't have to get involved because there's already kind of a, a way that those kind of disputes can be resolved. But if the if we believe what the stewards sort of say that they do and their mission is, you know, keeping everyone safe, uh, ensuring, you know, fairness in the sport and so on, then you kind of think they have to at least consider, um, you know, when there is a crash, when there's something that, that is, a, you know, maybe that, you know, they can see both sides of it, that it's at least look, worth looking at both sides of it and understanding what it is that happened. Uh, maybe not every single time any two cars come together. Maybe sometimes it's pretty obvious, but um, it just seems like for something like that, especially with all the implications behind it, uh, as we talked about in the last show, it may have been worth just an investigation to just see what was going on and, uh, you know, try to make a, make a call as to whether or not it was worth actually um, you know, causing a penalty or something like that. You know what it reminds me of? The most famous uh, intra-teammate uh, crash that I can think of in recent history was Mark Webber, Lewis Hamilton, Germany 2010, 11? I do not recall Webber and Hamilton being teammates. I think you're no, thinking no, no. of Sebastian Vettel. Yeah, I'm Weber. sorry. I meant <laughs> yeah. Webber and Vettel. And uh, I'm, I want to say it was Germany 2010, 2011, somewhere right. in there. I remember the crash. I don't remember the year. Yeah, and it was, you know, they were 1-2, and uh, initially, this this really led um, a lot of credibility to people saying the team favors Vettel unfairly because, in, in our minds, Jim, if you remember, it was pretty clear that Weber moved on. I mean, I'm sorry, that Vettel moved on Weber in kind of an unfair way. Yet the team initially blamed Weber for the accident. Right. And then overall, it, over time, it sizzled into okay, well, it was a racing incident. These things happened, but they must be avoided. But there was no, there was no um, Charlie Whiting action at all. That was never investigated, and that was you know more of a blatant someone caused something than what happened to Lewis and Rosberg. Right. Well, so the, that actually adds 
credibility what Craig said. Yeah, saying. I think that's uh, that's that's probably a good point. So I think there is something to be said for let's look into these cases, um, you know, to help understand what the deal was. And, you know, because I think at the time there was even some talk from the team of like, oh, well, the, you know, it was it looked like a deliberate move, but actually there was a failure on the car or like the suspension was weird or something. Sure, sure. Like, it would be worth at least understanding, like, are the, are the teams just completely BSing at that point and saying, uh, you know, just sort of doing what they can within the rules to uh, to try to make the best of it? Or was there actually, uh, you know, a case like the, the Sauber thing? You know, it seems like it would be such a weird lapse of judgment, even for a driver like Esteban Gutierrez, to just drive into the side of Romain Grosjean just to the side for no apparent reason. I need to crash into this guy. Yeah. So there's a pretty good chance that what they're saying is true, that, okay, there was brake failure, or, you know, maybe he comes up fired for the next Grand Prix and there's somebody else in the car for the rest of the season. And, like, right. oh, actually, that was just a lapse. We just wanted to come up with something to say that our driver's not a complete idiot. But after that, it's uh, it's really bad. Um, but, uh, yeah, it seems like it's just, you know, to sort of get to the get to the bottom of what was it that happened and then... Maybe they decide, okay, well, the team can deal with it uh, and, and you know deal with the consequences, but at least uh, maybe just understand what's going on. Yeah, exactly right. Um, we, I guess, we, it's worth saying one more time. We, you know, we're sorry we were as late as we were uh, with the Belgian Grand Prix, but it was for an extremely good reason. And uh, if you have more feedback from Belgium, please still feel free to give it to us. And uh, we will uh, pursue it. And uh, thank you, as always, to the people that were as patient they were. Thank you to uh, Paul Bryant and Lori Jordan for having comments on uh, Facebook after we posted, as well as Nadine Zikrek. No, I'm not saying that right. Ziggy, man. Ziggy. 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 I like that. That's way more pronounceable for me. Um, So, yeah, thank you, guys. And uh, we actually have two weekends off before uh, for Singapore. So, you know, please feel free to intake and absorb and then give us your thoughts. Do we? I thought Singapore was week after next. No. Nope. We just have one. No, nope. it's, it's the 20, the race itself is on the 21st. Right, which is two weeks from today. No, nope. Dude, it's the 7th. There's the 14th, and then there's the 21st. Right. So we have one weekend off. Right. Okay. I'm just making sure we're all in the same. <laughs> right. Talking about the same series We here. are. Yes, and V8 the, supercars. And the 20th, well, the 20th on my calendar here, which has lots of racing stuff on it, is the uh, WEC Six Hours of Circuit of the Americas from ooh, Texas, ooh, ooh, um, ooh, ooh, which is uh, which is a back to back with the Tudor uh, U.S. Uh, sports car series. Uh, so that's a long day of endurance racing from Circuit of the Americas from Texas. Something to keep an eye on as well if what, you're into that what, kind of ooh, stuff. What day? That's Saturday the 20th. You said yes. Oh, dude, man, if we can pull off a double header. You know, and, of course, Singapore comes on. Well, Singapore, it's evening, though, so it still comes on at kind of a normal European-ish time. Anyway, yes, yes, whatever. that's right. Uh, and then the next morning, I fly out to uh, California. But whatever. Um, well, we've got, yeah, a weekend off to uh, to keep track of it. Um, but, um, yeah, I didn't uh, get up quite early enough to, we didn't, you know, get together to, to live-tweet this race, so I was not part of uh, any kind of discussion on hashtag FWCars in this case. But... Uh, thank you, as always, to those who do uh, keep in touch and uh, and see what's going on. And, uh, yeah, very little feedback, like we said, because it was just a few days ago since uh, uh, since our last show. But uh, always good to uh, to hear from folks. And, uh, yeah, thanks. Uh, quick shout-out to Jim Helwig and Chris Christopherson um, for uh, for their comments on hashtag FWCars and tweeting at us. Uh, oh, also, there's a couple people showed up in the uh, hash FWCars here. Uh, Amy Louise, uh, the old uh, Geek Girl F1, and Paul Alston as well. Uh, keeping track of what's going on, even while we are not live tweeting. So thank you, as always, folks, for taking part. And uh, if you want to take part, please visit funwithcars.com, where you can comment right on the pages directly for any podcast stuff. You can download any old shows and go see what's going on uh, from all the stuff there. And um, there's links to Twitter and Facebook. And you can always email feedback at funwithcars.com if you're an email kind of person. All right, I managed to not get hosed this week. Um, I, I stuck with a, what is, to be fair, a pretty conservative prediction of Ross Rogan pole Hamilton for the win, and uh, and I was off by um, it's listing it as two points, but shouldn't that just be one point if I was if Rosberg was second and Hamilton was I don't know. We'll look into well, that. Well, hold on. Oh yeah, it would be two points total. Hamilton was on pole. Rosberg was second. Right. That would be one point because he's one point away from them. Then Hamilton did actually win the race. Either way. Um, oh, and you put Hamilton. What, dude? Whatever. Whatever. Uh, but uh, yeah, so we had 18 folks um, predict correctly. Uh, wait, what? Hold on. Ha! I'm an idiot. Um, I was looking at Germany. Ah, see, yeah, Italy isn't in it's Germany. It's a whole other thing. Yeah. Hey, look at that, Hamilton, Hamilton. There, man, a lot of people went Hamilton, Hamilton. 
Man, oh, man, we've got two pages of it. Hold on. Oh, I'm in 82nd place with one point for Rosberg <laughs> Hamilton. And to think, well, you did better than I did. To think that we would doubt the uh, the technical prowess of the prediction stud Neil Popham. But, uh, no, I just clicked on the wrong freaking thing. Um, yeah, man, I, I scored an 82nd spot, but only one point, to, I have to say, uh, for uh, for the race today. So good job to all 81 of you who predicted Ham-Ham correctly. Um, I like Ham. Yeah, man, and... Uh, so how did, how did you you were a Botas guy? For I this. was Botas, which was worth I think five points, yeah, and that puts me at what eight hundred and six hundred and thirty ninth. Wow! Actually tied with uh, Damien, who thought it'd be Rosberg Ricardo for the same five points. Oh, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, there was uh, uh, that, that's well. how that went down. Um, and then honorable mention to uh, two people who predicted Alonzo Alonzo. With oh, which, with well. the retirement, was uh, worth 26 points. So yeah. Darren Bowden and Self Petro, oh, better luck next time. Um, but how how are we looking overall here? Because I actually feel pretty good about my, my one point. Oh, well, I'm in 26th place. You would feel good about you. I mean, where am I overall? I'm not even, I can't even bear to look right now. Well, I was just, so just in the car on the way here, I was listening to, uh, finishing up listening to the our previous show where I was uh, a step, a point behind Damien and thinking, talking about how, hey, that's not going to stand. I can't deal with that. Yeah. And uh, now I have, I have bested that, I, that I've beat that. So that's good. You are in 89th spot overall with 114 points. That's a respectable spot. Yeah. It's in the double digits. It is. So there's that. Right. It's and a thing. We had a four-way tie for the lead before in predictions. Now it is a three-way tie between Matt Deakey, John Stegman, and Andrew Winter. So well done to uh, to those folks for hanging in there and, yeah. uh, well, and predicting you know, well. Martin is just one point away. One point away. He is still very much in this. So right. Um, it is a it is a epic battle. I dare say that our predictions championship is even better than the Formula One championship itself. And so. There's that. Okay. Wow. As the uh, guy that is sorely behind, I will predict first. I will put the burden on myself for that. I am I felt really strongly about... Um, Botas, man. About Botas. And I still do, to a certain extent, feel strongly about Botas. And I'm, I'm nervous about this. But, you know, I'm... I'm feeling I'm feeling itchy to make a change. And I'm making a change. Wow. Where are you going? I think that ooh, 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 in fact I'm gonna change my change. I think that uh Red Bull is gonna overcome the horsepower disadvantage and uh make the most of the uh of the Singapore circuit, one that does well for them. It is, it is to a certain extent a straightaway circuit. Um, you know, it's just basically it's fairly simple corners followed by straight bits. But there's a lot of those corners. I think something like twenty five. Uh, well, um, what is it? Twenty? No, I have it. Uh, twenty three. Yeah. Okay, twenty three. Counting the Singapore sling under the front straight there. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, I, I mean, look. The fact of the matter is, there's a good chance Mercedes will be strong there. I know that's hard to believe, but. I think Red Bull is going to overcome, and I think it's going to be Sebastian Vettel wow. that gets on pole. But I think Daniel Ricciardo is going to do his Daniel Ricciardo thing and win the race. So I have a Red Bull to win, and I have a split prediction. Wow. Yeah. That's that's big doings, man. Well, I mean, if looking historically, uh, in the modern era of the Singapore Grand Prix, um, as in not the 70s, uh, we had 2008, of course, Fernando Alonso in the you know, Nelson PK crash gate. Yes, in um, Renault, no less. Yep. Um, 09 was Hamilton in a McLaren. Uh, then 2010, Fernando Alonso, you know, outright at that point. Um, and then three years, 2011, 12, and 13, Sebastian Vettel in the Red Bull. Uh, so he definitely has done very well at this track. Of course, the car was uh, was relatively better than compared to the rest of the grid. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely something to be said for knowing your way around this really particular track and, uh, you know, getting strategy and everything figured out quite well. So that's a, uh, a bold prediction, sir, but uh, I, I guess hope that it works out well for you. Um, I kind of feel like Hamilton Hamilton is a solid way to go for the next race. I do think Hamilton knows his way around this track pretty well. I think that's true. As well. But uh, that's, you know, that's the same thing that uh, Damien's going to be saying. So uh, I kind of want to go with like, a different strategy. But um, I guess I'm ahead on points. I'll go, I'll go with the easy route and just think, I, you know what, I think Hamilton is back. I think of all the things he can take away from the Monza Grand Prix, the fact that he was able to pressure Rosberg into a mistake that gave him an easy pass, 
he's got to feel great about that. He's got to think, you know what? I nailed it. I, I put pressure on the guy. <laughs> he cracked. I didn't. I won the race. I, you know, max points for Hamilton. Um, it would have been better, of course, if, if Rosberg had, you know, crashed himself out or whatever and gotten zero points. But um, either way, as far as Hamilton's concerned, I think his, he's, he's back on it and uh, he's going to make it happen. So I think he is going to have a brilliant weekend in Singapore. Prediction made, my friend. Prediction made. So in either two or three weeks, depending on whose calendar we look at, uh. you will hear from us again. Uh, in the meantime, we thank you as always for listening and thank you for your patience and appreciate all your feedback and uh, kind words or nasty words or whatever you have to say, but you know, pre- presumably the kind ones. And uh, we will, uh, you'll hear back from us soon. Till then, I am Jim Lau. And I'm Rob Warner. Are you guys still drinking? Aerodynamic efficiency. Oh, Aerodynamic efficiency. <sighs> so drunk. <laughs>